fed up this evening because I felt it my duty to eat for two uh, without my wife being there. Uh, Kath had worked very hard, so I felt as though I ought to do it justice. So uh, I don't think I'll be eating for a couple of days, particularly when I tell my wife how much I have when I see her tomorrow. But anyway, it's nice to, to be with you this evening. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you'd like to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, continuing in a series that uh, we've had, uh, or you've started here, and last week you had Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, uh, and I call that the once but now passage. So once you were, but now that God has changed you, so that's the theology of the personal change that has come. And we move on now to chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and this is how this will be put into practice and affect not just our lives as individuals, but how it affects the society and churches in which we live. So this is the outpouring, the outworking of what we had in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. So we uh, read in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are gentles by birth and uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in its flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through his cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are becoming built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Amen. I've entitled this talk today, The Dream Can Become a Reality. And if you wonder where I thought about that, if you put, well, I'll put up the next slide. When I read this, I was taken back to when my daughter, Megan, was at university studying history a few years ago. And one of the modules that she did was American Civil Rights from the 1960s. And I remember coming home and asking me to help her as she revised for her finals. My mum and dad were there. My dad thought it was quite funny that she was doing American civil rights as history because he said, I remember it as though it was yesterday, the 1960s. He isn't quite so good on yesterday, but back in the 60s, he remembers it very well. And I remember the speech that Martin Luther King gave back in August 1963 that my daughter was studying on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial Building in Washington. And he said, I have a dream today that one day this nation will rise up and start the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. You know, and this was the dream that was there. 
that people would not be judged by their race or their creed or their color, but by what Christ can make them. And if you think that this is perhaps 60 years ago and we live in a very different world these days, well, I think not a lot has actually changed. Police statistics show, and I think this is probably an under-realization, that in the last 15 years, there have been probably 100 racially motivated murders in this country. You may picture, see the picture on the left-hand side of Stephen Lawrence, perhaps the one that we know best. But nearly 100 racially motivated murders in 15 years in this country. They estimate that since the Second World War, more than 50 million people have died in conflicts around the world. And even now, people are risking their lives to flee war-torn Syria and getting to the English Channel, crossing what I probably wouldn't go out from Paynton Beach in, in order to cross the 20-odd miles across the Channel. Such is the conflict there is that they are trying to flee. We live in a desperate world, and the problem that we have is how do we get people not to be judged by the color of their skin, their social class, or their religion, but by their character? How do we change the human heart? Well, I remember when I was in school, we had to study a couple of books. Uh, one of them was called Lord of the Flies. I don't know whether you've ever read the book. It's quite a disturbing book. Maybe you've seen the film. But it's a group of basically choir boys who get uh, marooned on a desert island. You know, isn't that fantastic? You could, you know, you're in a paradise. You could just live a wonderful life. And if you know the story of seeing the film, very soon it decays into tyranny and hate and murder and barbarism. Animal Farm. What's there? Well, that was where they had a, uh, a revolution, tried to create an egalitarian state. And yet there were signs erected all around, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. You know, the world has tried it. We had the Russian Revolution. Communism came. Did it bring happiness? Did it bring change? Well, maybe superficially, but it hasn't changed. We need a new society, and we need it from in. Because Paul says very candidly in verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And there's one thing about being dead is that you can't change anything when you're dead. We need to have a revolution. We need to know that Christ has resurrected us and to do it to something which is bitter. That doesn't come from perhaps moving to a desert isle or having a revolution. But it's something that comes from knowing Christ as our Savior. Verses 8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that someone can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Augustine of Hippo said this, the one, the only one who can remake a human being is the one who made him in the first place. And yeah, that's what we believe as Christians. You've maybe sang the song like I have. I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. That Christ has changed us. He's given us a new hope, a new future. And Paul is saying that this is the change that has happened to you, and this is how it must change the society in which you live. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be a Christian back in that Ephesian church? Perhaps you're a Gentile, and you've become a Christian, and you're sat there, and suddenly a Jewish family walk in through the door, and they've lived on the same street as you, but they've never said hello, they've never shaken your hand, they've never invited you around for a meal, they've never sought to help you. In fact, when your kids met in the street, they came out and got scolded and pulled away. They weren't allowed to mix together. There was racism and animosity as bad as anything that they saw in the USA. 
There was apartheid in that society. Jews were forbidden to shake hands with the Gentile, forbidden to give him good advice, forbidden to eat with him. And rabbis even forbade Jewish women, midwives, to help Gentile mothers give birth. Why? Because the Ron of the rabbis said that all you're doing is producing another log for the fires of hell. What a situation in which to live. In fact, if a Jewish Romeo found his Gentile Juliet and they got married, the family wouldn't get ready for a wedding. They'd have a funeral. I remember when we were traveling, when I was a student, we went to Amsterdam and we stayed in the uh, YWAM center there in the red light district in Amsterdam. That was a bit of an eye-opener as well. And one of the guys working there uh, was a converted Jew and he said that when he became a Christian, his father literally had a coffin made with his name on it and they buried it in their garden. Their son was dead to them. And this is the society in which they lived. And yet, can it be different? And Paul says, yes, there can be a difference, and it comes through Christ. And there are just three points that I want to make this evening. And the first of them is this, that Paul argues... Oh, it's died on me. You'll have to put on the next slide. First of all, in verses 11 and 12, he tells them to remember what they were. Verse 11, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that are done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood. So that's what they used to be like. There was animosity between them. And yet there's been a difference that's made. If you put up the next slide, as William Hendrickson, one of his uh, biographies, commentaries on this passage says in verse 12, they were Christless, they were stateless, they were friendless, they were hopeless, and they were godless. No hope for a future. Godless without any hope. Pointless and directionless. I suppose we picked up this illustration for this morning. A bit like a chocolate cake with the cocoa in it. There was no purpose of fulfillment in life. And yet Christ has come to change that. But first of all, Paul says you need to remember what you are. He's not trying to run up their noses in it, but with his pastoral heart, he wants to remember for them to remember God's miracle of rescue in their lives as all that he has done for them. And this family that walk in, suddenly they can sit next to you. And suddenly somebody who you were alienated with has become your mother and sister in Christ. That's what you used to be, but how do you respond now? Well, if you put up the next slide, verses 13 to 18, he reminds them what Christ has done for them. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. If you put up the next slide, my friends Nick and Jen went to Australia. And one of the places they went when they visited Australia was a crocodile farm or an aquarium. And, and when they got there, they said there was a low wall around it. And they didn't take a picture, so I had just took this off the internet. I don't think their spelling is too good for trespasses, but anyway. And it said on this low wall around the crocodile aquarium, trespassers will be eaten, you know, and uh, sort of keep people out, as though that put people off. You know, it was even worse back in Bible times, because if you went into the temple and they dug up and some of the stones that were in the wall around the court of the Jews, 
And the rough translation, it was in more than one language, had this. No foreigner is to go beyond the wall of this temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Trespassers will be put to death. You see, there was this divide. It was only about five foot high, this wall in the temple, but it just as well had been 500 feet high. There was this dividing wall of hostility between them, Jews on one side and Gentiles on the other. And the Jews were making it quite clear that the Gentiles were not part of God's chosen people. And more than that is that it could not even approach God. And yet the position has changed to what Christ has done for us. For it's not because of who we are by birth, but it's because of what we become in Christ. And Paul does that as a very practical example as he takes Trophimus, that uh, Gentile from Ephesus, into the courts and he's been arrested for it. But he wants them to know and understand that there is only one way of coming to God and it's not by birth, it's not by culture, but it's by the fact that Christ died upon the cross for us as he fulfilled the Old Testament's law and its requirements. It was culturally mind-blowing for them. And as the Jewish family walked into the church and sat next to that Gentile family. People who had had nothing to do with each other previously, suddenly because what Christ has done for both of them, suddenly are on an equal footing. And they have to look at each other differently. My wife sometimes says I'm a lot like an elephant. I don't just think you know, it's the, the way that you know, I walk and the, the heavy footsteps, but you know, sometimes they say elephants don't forget. And if somebody upsets me and wrongs me, I find sometimes it difficult to forgive. And, and sometimes I'm sure some of these Jews and these Gentiles will look at each other and say, really? Do I have to live like that and love them and be in family and in communion with them? But Christ says, yes, because you have both come the same way. There is neither new Jew nor Gentile. There's no racism. There's neither slave nor free. There's no classism, no snobbery. There's neither male or female, no sexism, for you're all one in Christ. I suppose he could have added there's no neither young nor old, so there could be any ageism. See, this is the theology behind Martin Luther King's speech, that we are all created equal. And suddenly Jews and Gentiles have been hostility, would come together in unity come together all in the body of Christ as friends. And they could visit and socialize, and the kids would play together, and they would pray together, all because of what Christ has done for them. And then thirdly, if you put up the next slide as well, what else does he say? He says, remember what you were. Remember what Christ has done for you. And he says, remember who you are now. And I suppose if you just sum up verse 19... In just one way, it's this, that consequently, we now belong because of the cross. Remember what verse 12 said? We were stateless, we were friendless, we were godless, we were homeless. And suddenly in verse 19, consequently, because of what Christ has done for us, suddenly we weren't once, but we are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Those Jews can't look down the nose at you Gentiles because you're a Gentile. But we all come the same way, and Christ has loved us just as we are and saved us all in the same way. A new race has been created. We're Christians, different colours, different languages, but a common saviour. Isn't that amazing? I remember when I was interrailing around Europe when I was younger, and we went to church on a Sunday, and people we'd never met before would ask us back into our homes and show us love and compassion. People from sometimes you couldn't even understand. 
People in Poland, their daughter had done sort of one year of English at school and we sat there all through the day with an English dictionary to talk to each other. It was a bit painful, but we loved each other in Christ. When my sister was uh, teaching on a mission station in Africa and she travelled around, and one of the churches she went to, they met under a tree in the hot sun just to keep it off them. And she said the women were swaying. They were all told us it was just what they were. And they were singing choruses. She said, I've never been to church like it in my life. It was a bit difficult to concentrate. But they're all one in Christ. They've all come the same way. We all have the same Savior. We all belong to the one family. We all belong to his church. If you put up the next slide, there were a lot of churches, obviously, that we had to close during lockdown. But... As the chorus that we used to sing when our kids were young, the church is just a building, a place where people meet. For the church is actually living stones. That's what God is creating for us as a church. The church building may have been closed, but the church was still open. One of the charities I act for was selling an old chapel, and the other solicitor asked me, has the building been deconsecrated? To which I replied, Quoting a couple of Bible verses, it's not the building that's consecrated, it's the people that are consecrated. The church building may be closed and may be sold, but the church is still continuing. God's people are still continuing, for God is building his church, whether they be Jew or Gentile. He's bringing them together in unity and in unison in order to serve and to worship him. If you put up the next slide, you see the sad thing is I'm sure that all the people back in the Ephesian church just like they've been in this country as well. Three or four years ago, when we went to London to visit my friend who was ill in hospital, we walked along the South Bank, and we got to the OXO building, if you know the OXO building on the South Bank, and uh, there was a, an exhibition in there, and it's free, so there was a chance to sit down and have a free cup of tea, so I thought that sounded good. And we went in, and there were pictures of what they call the Windrush Generation, and not only did they have pictures on the wall, but people had written just two or three sides of A4 of their accounts. And we sat down and we read them. And you know, I, I could almost weep at some of the things that I read. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ who had come across, perhaps from the West Indies or other countries. And they went along to their local church, so often an Anglican church, expecting to find a welcome, to feel loved and accepted. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither West Indian or English. We're just all one in Christ. And what happened? They found they were cold-shouldered, asked not to come back again. And if you like, call the midwife. I put that up there as well. You know, you've seen the same sort of thing in call the midwife. You know Cyril and Lucille? You know, I think they're going to get married in the Christmas special, I understand. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't mind confessing I like call the midwife. But, you know, they've had to meet in their sort of uh, black Pentecostal church because there was no acceptance anywhere else. How sad that is. And it's easy to point the finger and say, but things would be different here. But would they really? Would things be different in our church? Would things be different even in our own hearts? Because, you know, sometimes we can look at people and we can judge them and we can condemn them. Perhaps people who are just not quite the same as ourselves. Who don't think exactly the same. Do you know, the older I get, I think there's more and more that's less important. And if somebody says, Christ is my Savior and died for my sin, I say, Alamulia, Amen. You know, I may not agree on everything and some of the liturgy and some of what actually happens, but I can have fellowship with them if they believe the same as I do, that Christ died for their sins, as we read in Ephesians earlier on in chapter 2. Paul says there needs to be love 
an acceptance that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And what was true for the Jews and the Gentiles is a test case for us today. And what Martin Luther spoke about is what we ought to know in our society today, that all men are born equal in the sight of God. And there is only one way to come to him. And that's what through Christ has done upon that cross for us. Sometimes our nature says we ought to resent them. We ought to continue the hostility. But Paul says, no, Christ has made a difference. Not just in your theology, in the way that you live your life. And to put that into practice, we need to remember what we were. To remember what Christ has done for us. And to remember what we are now. All part of his church. All come the same way. All worshipping our Lord and Saviour. Amen.